Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Almost knocked the Mississippi State Bulldog bell over. That's probably a bad omen if you knock the bell over, Coos. I have no idea. Action Sports Jackson, ESPN 690. I'm Austin Lane. My co-host Brent Martin on the road right now having some technical difficulties, so I'm going to steer the ship. I'm going to drive the car until further notice. Coos, we still get on the ESPN 690 chat. You can still see me and everything. Oh, yeah, we're looking good. Oh, yeah, I got you. We're still rolling. Cool, but we're actually we're glad to be and happy to be joined by right now uh, head coach of the Flagler men's basketball team, Chad Warner, playing tonight in the Division Two Sweet 16. Coach, thanks for joining the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, sorry to hear about the difficulties, but it sounds like you've got this thing under control. Well, hey, you know what happens sometimes? You go on the road and then things can happen, but obviously I'm back at the home base, Chad. I run a real tight ship over here, Coach, so don't worry about me at all, man. Uh, we're just going to keep on sailing. With that being said, though, talk to me about your team a little bit. How are you guys feeling going into this matchup, um, and what has the season been like for you guys so far? Yeah, well, it's been an, an awesome season. I mean, we've got guys that – really believe in themselves and uh, I think they're just excited for the opportunity to play to go to the Elite Eight and you know we've had it's been a historic year for us Uh, we won the league and won the tournament and I think we've won 13 or 14 in a row I'm not sure Um, it won't matter if we don't win tonight so that's what we're but you know we got our hands full I mean we play we ended up being the number one seed in the region. We're playing the number two seed Alabama Huntsville and um, so it's, it's all new to us but that's exciting and you know, we're going to go cut it loose tonight and see what we can do. Well, Coach, and you mentioned it. You know, it's it's it's, it's all new to you guys. This entire season, I assume, has been new to you guys with, with all the COVID-19 protocols and things like that. And, and hopefully, you know, obviously we're on the back end of that now. But what what, right. what was this season like in terms of, I mean, did you guys get all your games and, like, what were practices like? Did you have to, you know, did you have to abide by the protocols? Did any guy have to sit out a little bit? Like, what, what was all that like uh, in terms of a distraction? Because you talk about a game of basketball where, you know, it's all about routine and it's all about getting guys comfortable and probably the most yeah. uncomfortable time to be a basketball player. Well, the answer is yes to all that. <laughs> um, we, we, we've dealt with it all. Uh, you know, it's funny when the guys reported at the end of summer, we talked about trust. There was ever a time just to trust the moment. It's now because, you know, we've all seen firsthand that really nothing, um, you know, is, is for certain. And um, so we've really tried to go as cliche as it is day by day and, and just stay as healthy. I mean, we, we, we've done nothing any differently than anyone else. We've been tested three times a week, like everybody else. But, you know, I will say this, I'm very thankful for our administration, our president, Dr. Joyner, and then our athletic director, Mr. Judd Damon, from the beginning, they have been pretty stiff on, Hey, we want our kids to be able to play games. We know they need this. They need routine. They need practice. They need. And so, 
that's a huge commitment, and, and it was so important because it's a, it has. It's allowed some normalcy back in our life, and we've tried to do it safely. And, you know, we have had to shut down two different times. Um, I would say we've had three or four players that, that, you know, got the virus at some point. I got it. My entire family got it at the end of the year. So I missed three games, um, and that was uh, the first time I ever missed games in my life. Um, yeah. And so, it, you know, it has been unique, but it, in some ways, I mean, it's so good. I mean, that's what life is, right? You know, it's it's not all fastballs. You get curveballs, and how do you adapt? And, um, you know, I think that's part of what sports are so special is they, they are a microcosm of life. And um, so, you know, it's been good for all of us just to have to adapt and, you know, be as healthy as we can. And we've tested every day here at the NCAA Regional, and, our last test being this morning and you know we all cheered when they were when they were all negative um you know because it's i think it was bruce arians he said hey you got to beat the virus before you can beat an opponent and, <laughs> absolutely uh, kind of felt that way <laughs> talking to talking to flagler basketball coach here uh coach chad warner coach i think if my memory serves me right we had you back uh in early december or maybe it was late november um after you guys played central michigan and I remember that's, talking that's about right. that. Yeah, I remember. I remember talking about that game because obviously Central Michigan, you know, they're they're a D one opponent, and you guys being D two, kind of the underdogs a little bit. And you go out there and you put on an absolute showcase of skills, and really didn't make it a close game. I guess nobody said that game had to be close to you guys. <laughs> Do you find games like that back in early December? Did those just help you guys out? towards the long run and saying, hey, we can play with these bigger schools. We have the skills. We have the confidence. And do you attest that to where you're at right now uh, going here in the Sweet 16 playing for the lead eight? You know, I think I think it had to have helped. I mean, we actually, and we, you know, we, we played six Division One games. When they canceled the non-conference for, for, for us, we, we had a choice. We could schedule out of our region and play Division Two teams where we would have had to pay money to do it. We sort of took a different approach. We said, hey, let's go play as many Division One games as we can. We'll get paid to do this. We could very easily, you know, three of those will be exhibitions. Three will count against your record. So we knew we could lose six. You know, we could start 0-3. Well, we ended up starting off 2-1. and I mean, We had two Division One wins. And that just goes a long way um, for your confidence and just the experience of the moment. And, I mean, the strength of the team that we have is our team. I mean, they we, we do have a great player. I mean, we've got, a, in my opinion, a first-team All-American in Jay Zaclotti, but we have so many other guys that fit together well, and they all step up on different nights, and, and so I think it just gave our team confidence. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm just – and we, our staff, we just try to stay out of the way and, and, and let them do what they're, what they're good at doing. <laughs> hey, Coach, you know, the, the last time that f- – Flagler, you know, they, they've won a national uh, postseason tournament. was actually back in 2005. So, right. it, so it's been a long time. Do those types right. of – do those stick in the back of your mind? And I'm not, Listen, I get it. It's coach speak. You're on to the next one. We focus on right now. But is there a sense in that locker room with what you guys have been through this year with the success that you found against, you know, the, the, the bigger opponents that you guys have something special there and you can make a deep run? Uh, well, <laughs> you know – we we were very aware of the fact um, that we had had not, Flagler had not had any Division two success. I mean, everything that had ever happened had been when they were in the NAIA, and so we knew that. But, you know, like this team's history is its own, um, and not that we don't embrace anything in the past of Flagler. Of course we do, but, you know, these guys, I mean, when I got the job, I have one player from my first year. Um, so they're all – 
new. And the, the holdover is Chris Metzger. He's a senior. He's a fantastic basketball player. So he he has sort of been through, you know, the build. Um, he gets it, but these other guys don't. And so we really have – I mean, I think they're aware of, you know, quote-unquote making history because social media – I mean, people – it's just what people say. <laughs> but I really think this team has done a great job on, you know what, we need to practice great today – that's it, and we'll worry about tomorrow. And so we have tried to approach it that way. And I tell people, I mean, I think we're ranked eighth in the country, and I, I, I don't know if we're eighth or 80th. I really don't because it's <laughs> ranking. I just know we were able to win our league. You know, we were the number one seed in the region, and we won our first game. And that's really – I just – I don't it, – it's just different than Division One, where there's more eyes on it. You have a better idea of the rankings and, you know, so – Again, I think they're just a group that is having a lot of fun. They love playing together. They play hard, and they believe in themselves. And that's plenty good enough for me. Let's you know, let's just go play our best basketball tonight and see where it ends up. I like it, Coach. All right, well, one more final question for you. you know, you we're always we're so enthralled with the NCAA tournament, you know, and then these Cinderella stories. Then you have the powerhouses uh, and things yep. of that nature. And you always feel like you know sometimes it's the underdogs that have the you know the, that senior leadership that that have played together for so long that can overcome you know maybe a more talented team do you get the sense like in a tournament format whether it's d1 d2 d3 nai it doesn't really matter but do you get the sense that when you guys make this deep run in a playoff and you do have some of that senior leadership that you mentioned does that For make sure. all the difference right there is that senior leadership to kind of put you over the top with all the experience I, well I, I think you have to have two things i think you have to have great players that are you know that play great yeah. i mean it doesn't matter how great your players are if they don't play great um, so I think you have to have that. I mean, guys are going to have to step up and do the things they do. And then you have to have that toughness um, and that togetherness that usually comes with, with older players. I mean, every now and then it doesn't. But we have – I mean, we've got three guys starting for us that have played a lot of college basketball and played it at a high level. And that goes a long way um, or certainly has gone a long way during this, you know, 19-game season that we've played so far. And, you know, counting on it, doing the same thing tonight. Yeah. So. And, well, you know, I, I know I lied to you. I got one final question for you because this needs to be said as well, and this is direct coaching in my opinion. Your, your last three opponents have been averaging 58 points per game. That's outstanding. You know, what we think of basketball, it's always the highest scoring, the three-pointers, the flow of the game. But what's lacking sometimes is the defense. What do you attribute to that? Is defense like is it like in football where it's a mindset, it's a mentality, um, and obviously that's a reflection of the coaching. What do you attest to your defense playing so tight right now and shutting teams down? Well, I'll assure you, it's not the coaching. We have some guys that move well and they're and they care. And yeah. you know, when you have good athletes, you know, we're just trying to put them in good spots and let them fight. I mean, they're tough kids. And again, the team will Huntsville is very tough. I mean, it will be a big-time, fun basketball game, um, but we're excited about it. I mean, this is what you hope to get the opportunity to do, and uh, I have a lot of belief in my guys, and I, I'm, I love them regardless of, of whether, you know, the result. We're just going to go out there and do what we've done all year, and I just have a lot of belief in us. So it, it's been fun. Flagler head coach, Chad Warner. Chad, thanks for taking a couple minutes. I would say good luck to you, but luck is for the unprepared. So I'm going to wish you good skill. Uh, and, yeah, you guys can do your thing tonight, man. Uh, tune in. I think it's at 7 o'clock here. Taking on Alabama Huntsville, live from Ev- Evansville, Indiana. Best of skill to you guys. <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much. Take care. Take care. Man, that, that that's the one thing. 
you know, like th- that whole tournament format, like I was never the biggest basketball player. Now, yeah, I mean, I played with the Jacksonville Giants a little bit. There's a flex. That, that could be the flex of the day. Uh, basketball was never really my signature sport, but what I did enjoy was the tournament time. Like even, even like in the high school tournament where it's either you win or go home. And obviously back when I played, you had that crowd and everything that gave you that extra energy. It was just a different vibe, and I'm obviously excited for the NCAA tournament. I'm excited for Flagler. We uh, appreciate Coach, you know, joining us, and I think it says a lot. It says a lot that when you can play a lockdown defense and you have senior leadership, you can go far in the tournament. I'm I'm always reminded of, and this is more of a D1 comparison, but I'm always reminded of Kentucky. Year in and year out, it seemed like forever, Kentucky had the most talent. You know, they they had the guys that would be the first-round picks. But they can never go deep, deep in the tournament and win the whole thing, usually just because at the end they would falter. They would play a team who had that senior leadership, who may not have been the most talented team, but they had the most cohesiveness. And that's what makes basketball such a great sport, is that sometimes it's not the most talented team that wins. It's an unexpected team, as opposed to football. Like, yeah, maybe you get lucky every once in a while, here or there. Maybe one time you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you beat the Indianapolis Colts. But for the most part, though, the the the, the ability of your team's strengths and your explosiveness and the power and all that stuff, it's going to shine through. And you saw that with Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Basketball is a different sport, especially collegiate basketball. And, you know, I think when we get Brent back on here, we're going to break down more of the tournament bracket coming up, who we like in that, who the Cinderella's are going to be. But uh, it just makes you appreciate, man, it's just that special type of year right now with college basketball and that tournament format. Kuz, you doing a bracket this year? I'm actually doing one right now. You're doing one right now? So I was you working on one talk right to? Okay, that's fine. You don't, don't even talk to me. I'll just do this whole show by myself. <laughs> like that, that, that's seriously where we're at right now, and it's all good. Uh, let's go to the chat then real quick. This is literally the show is so far off the rails. Uh, what do we got in the chat, though, Kuz? Don't worry about it. I'll find you. Keep filling out your bracket. It's all good. No yeah. worries. Uh, what do we got here? On So we got Kyle Pitts. Will the Jaguars trade up for Kyle Pitts? Man... <laughs> If it could happen, I, I hope it happens. I think Kyle Pitts right now is going top five, uh, top eight at the very most. I got to see another Mel Kuyper draft. I got to see another Todd McShay draft um, to see where they have Kyle Pitts going. Y- you know how I feel about Kyle Pitts. I feel like this guy uh, is going to be a difference maker. I think he's going to be the next Darren Waller, the next Travis Kelsey. Um, I think he's going to be in rarefied air. I think he's that good. And I know what you're telling me about, well, yeah, you know, it takes a while for a tight end to to adjust to the NFL life. But I think Kyle Pitts can definitely do that. I'm seeing some names that are getting thrown around. Uh, you know, Fryer Muth from, from Penn State. He's definitely an interesting cat coming off of an injury. But keep in mind, the Penn State tight end coach is now the coach at the of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he's, he's a tight end coach here. So you have that experience. And when you listen to Urban Meyer and he says he's going to go but with guys that he knows, he's going to trust his position coaches, well, you better believe that the, the former position coach, the former tight end coach of Penn State, is in those scouting meetings right now, dancing on top of tables, turning over chairs and saying, we got to bring Fryermuth to Jacksonville. He's, he's going to be the guy. Trust me. I coached him. I know um, he's going to be the guy. So I definitely keep an eye on Fryermuth as well. There's a few other guys, but 
I don't want to put the cart before the horses. That's the second time I've said that today, which is crazy. I never say that kind of quote, but um, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. It's fun to talk about the draft. Um, and it's fun to, you know, to, to speculate and, and, and it's fun to, to mock and everything like that. And be, be, keep in mind, shock your mock right around the corner. I want you guys to get ready, okay, because it's going to be a bloodbath this year. I'm not going to hold back. I have the green card. I'm going to unleash on everybody. So I can't wait to see your mock drafts. They shouldn't be that hard for the first pick of the draft. If I see Zach Wilson anywhere in anybody's mock draft, I'm going to freak out. But with that being said, I do think we need to focus more on still free agency. And I think when you have guys like Gerald Everett, I think when you have guys like Zach Ertz, like to me, and people might disagree with me here, I think that Zach Ertz, like I said beginning of the show, I think Zach Ertz is a notch above Gerald Everett right now. Um, I really do. I know Zach Ertz has a little bit of an injury history. I know he's probably on the back nine of his career with his age right now. But the ceiling that I've seen from Zach Ertz compared to Gerald Everett to me, that, that's all the difference in the world. Now, once again, he has to stay healthy, and that's the risk that you take in free agency. But depending on what Philly wants to do with Zach Ertz, and I think that the show is done there. He said that he wants out. I think they're going to respect his wishes. If it's going to cost you a third or a fourth-round pick, I, I made that decision all day. Because, once again, all I need from Zach Ertz, I don't need you to be in every down tight end. All I need you to be is a receiving threat. And Zach Ertz is that when he's healthy. You can put it. It's a lot like Hunter Henry, in my opinion. You can put Zach Ertz in the slot. You can put him on the line. You can put him on a, on a lot of places. But something needs to be done. And, and, and I see that the chat right now. Zach Ertz is garbanzo beans. Austin, please stop. Well, then tell me what else I should do. Are you comfortable right now with Josh Oliver and a run-blocking tight end from Carolina and then address it in, in, the, in the draft? Is that what we're doing, guys? Cool. Let's see how that works out for us then. Let's see how it works out when we bring Trevor Lawrence, who we've all been gushing about for the past, you know, three or four months, five months or so, and let's bring in Trevor Lawrence. Let's say, hey, Trevor, we really respect you a lot. Here's Cam Robinson because he's probably playing left tackle for you. Hope you like that. Uh, As far as the tight ends are concerned, well, here's Josh Oliver. He doesn't have a lot of experience, but hopefully you can make that work. And then uh, here's Carlos Hyde and here's James Robinson. Have fun with that. Is that what we're really talking about right now? I don't care if it's going to cost Zach Ertz a third or fourth round pick. I'll be honest with you. You have the draft capital to give it up. So I say you give it up and you take a chance. Because I want to exhaust every single option at the tight end position. Do you know why? Because we haven't had a legit bona fide tight end since Mercedes Lewis back in 2010. When he was a pro bowler. I think it was 2010. Maybe 2011. So I'm trying to help Trevor Lawrence out here. I'm trying to show the good graces and say, hey, man, we're doing everything in our power to build you up for success. If that's Gerald Everett, if that's Zach Ertz, then so be it. If you got to risk it for the biscuit, you do it. You know why? You make your starting quarterback happy. All right? What happens when the quarterbacks aren't happy? Ask the Seattle Seahawks right now what's going on over there. All right? Get every single weapon possible for Trevor Lawrence, no matter what it costs or no matter the draft capital it takes. If that means Zach Ertz, then I'd say bring in Zach Ertz. More on ESPN 690 when we get back.
Kristen Lane. I want you to put yourself in Leonard Fournette's shoes. Probably a little bigger shoes than you're rocking right now. Mm-hmm. Shocker, you're wearing sandals, and that's all good, though. Brent Martineau. Well, you are, too. They're just like... <laughs> I mean, they're just like, look I like might vans. as well be. I might as well be. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. So there's one thing we know about Gronk. It's what he wants... He gets, and more specifically here, what Tom Brady wants, he gets as well. So Brady wanted Gronk. Gronk wanted to be back playing football. Wasn't going to do it with anybody but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Exactly what Gronk made last year. It's a one-year deal worth up to $10 million. And uh, this is not a surprise. It has always been what the Buccaneers planned. But it's still been a very busy time. They did an extension for Brady. Chris Godwin got the tag. They got Shaq Barrett, a ton of money. We'll see what happens with Leonard Fournette, but a big day for the Bucks as well. That is Ian Rappaport. And welcome back here to St. John's County for me. Boy, that was a little bit of a battle the last half hour. Yeah, it's awesome doing interviews that I have no idea who I'm talking to. It's the best. Good. Good show prep. Uh, the how was Coach? Coach Warner's good. That's Flagler. fun. Yeah, yeah, Flagler's uh, good. And get ready to do Mike Tannenbaum coming up at five fifteen if things go sour again. All right, he's, he's calling the show again. Or he uh, is Tannenbaum is at five fifteen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just well, uh, be on alert. <laughs> I don't know if I fried the uh, uh, the unit out here because of some of the heat or what. Can't quite figure it out. But um, we're back up for now. So we we got it cooking. Uh, in that respect, so appreciate the patience, folks, uh, from down here. We love being on the road, but you can run into some issues, although we have a pretty good track record now. We're pretty good on this front, so uh, knock on wood, hopefully it stays uh, that way. Hey, uh, who do you want? Somebody just texted me and said something about Juju Smith-Schuster, and uh, there's nothing active, at least uh, you know, on social media, about Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, a lot of people are talking about Samuel because of speed. If the Jags were to get Juju Smith-Schuster, do you think that would have people uh, excited? I mean, are you asking me who I'd rather have, Juju Smith-Schuster or Curtis Samuel? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, we did this before with Godwin, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. We did it with uh, Galladay. We did it with Allen Robinson. But we really didn't do it with Samuel, you know. I mean, Steven wanted to bring up Samuel on every show, yeah. but we didn't. Yeah. And so, like, at this stage of it, knowing that Urban Meyer wants a little speed – um, Samuel would fit that mold, but still, Juju Smith-Schuster's Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, like, what would you rather see happen? The Jags get him, or the Jags go after a guy like Samuel? Yeah, if you're asking me, like, where do I rank all these guys? It's going, you know, just for uh, some fun. Let's put Kenny Gowdy in the mix too. I would probably take Kenny Gowdy over both guys. Really? Um, then would come Smith-Schuster, and then would come Samuel. Now, I think Samuel is definitely the the biggest home run capability. Um, he's the fastest guy, the most shiftiest guy. You can do the most things with him. I like kind of like Percy Hybron when you had him in Florida with Urban Meyer. But like what the only thing I would say about Curtis Samuel is you're not going to use him on every single down. At least I don't think you are. Not when you have LaVisca Chenault. Not when you have obviously DJ Chark. And we'll see if there's going to be emergence of Colin Johnson or somebody else. So to me, he's the gadget guy. I think if you go with Schmitz Schuster. He can still possibly be a gadget guy, but then you have a slot receiver. You can line him up on the outside. You can do a lot of different things with Schmitz Suster, which I like a lot. And then with Kenny Galley, I mean, that's just the big-bodied red zone target that you've been craving. You know, that's the guy that can go up there and get it. Uh, kind of like an Allen Robinson a little bit, probably on steroids, though. And I'm not saying he's on steroids, but I'm saying he's bigger than <laughs> Allen Robinson. So that's why Galladay, to me, is ahead of everybody else, and then Smith-Schuster, and then Samuel. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Galladay seemingly out of nowhere. You know, if you asked this question a year ago, two years ago, wouldn't you think most people would just be like, yeah, give me Juju Smith-Schuster? And it feels like some of his value, some of his stock has gone down, given the other receivers in the game, and I guess what you're looking for, too. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, tough guy. Uh, he can do a lot of different things, obviously, from the slot, but I, I guess it's just not as sought after right now. It doesn't seem like as some of these speed guys, whether it is uh, potentially a Samuel, a God, uh, you know, obviously Godwin, if he had become available, available or a Galladay. And I guess we just keep getting stuck at hearing, okay, we like our receiving room, Urban Meyer says, but we can do better. We can get faster. We need speed. And so our mind goes to a guy like Samuel or even a Galladay more so than Schuster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think with Samuel, it's like I said, like what Urban Meyer's been saying, and obviously there's a connection there with Curtis Samuel as well, but like what Urban Meyer's been kind of, if you, if you believe in the breadcrumbs that he's throwing, yeah. then all signs point to Samuel. Um, all signs can point to Galladay, too, because, you know, um, the offensive coordinator, that he has some experience working with Kenny Galladay. So there's that in as well. But if you're asking me who do they take, I think they go Curtis Samuel. He's going to be the cheapest guy out of those that bunch, and he gives you the most speed um, if they do go with somebody. But I I want to see a, a big playmaking target, you know, like Kenny Galladay. I think, like, if you're a rookie quarterback and you see that dude running routes, it's like, hey, go up there and get it. That's only going to give you more confidence and help you out. So to me, like Kenny Galladay could be that guy. Hey, do you think this is new for Urban Meyer? He talked about the uncomfortability last uh, week in, in bringing in guys that he doesn't even know and he doesn't have a chance to talk to and just like, boom, here's the money, come on in, be a part of our locker room. And, he, and you can't know him as well as you want to know him. He said that's uncomfortable. I get it. That's uh, totally different than recruiting in that sense. But do you think him and Balky and, and the front office of the Jags misfired yesterday? There was a bit of a narrative that they just underestimated maybe the value of some of these guys, the market of some of these guys. Do you think it was that? Do you think it was lack of interest more of what their game plan was and maybe the perception of the fan base thinking, wait, we got all this money, let's go get these big-name guys and throw everything at them? What do you think happened in the last 24 to 36 hours especially around the tight ends, because, or even a Tomlinson. Did they miscalculate value? Uh, did, they, did they get caught a little bit here by the rest of the league? Uh, or do we just, did we just not understand their plan of attack as well as maybe we all thought we did? You know, I have a hard time believing that Trent Baalke, who has been a GM, you know, for a few years, who should be experienced enough, you know, to, to know what to offer, what not to offer. I have a hard time believing that Balky would just lowball people. I, I just, I have a hard time believing that because you have to know exactly what you're into right now. You're coming off a one in 15 season. Yeah. You're getting Trevor Lawrence. Yes. You have urban Meyer. Okay. But that doesn't mean you're going to win a lot of games this up and coming year. And sometimes that's what players want more than anything. It, it's, it's the culture. It's the chance to hoist a Lombardi trophy. So if you take an honest look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, we're coming off of a, a very bad season. Um, we're coming off of the past couple of years of bad optics. Now, granted, new coaches, new regime, but still bad optics nonetheless. Um, then you have to overpay sometimes. And, and you have to overcharge sometimes because sometimes the money is the difference. And sometimes a couple million dollars here, a couple million dollars there is the difference. So I have a hard time believing 
that they saw Johnu Smith and they're like, okay, well, you know, let's see if we can get a little discount for John. Like, I, I, I don't buy into that narrative. Now, I, I remember, you know, uh, I think it was Bulky that said, we're looking for value. We're looking for value. Okay. And if you look at Bulky's track record, he is a value guy. He does sign guys sometimes who are coming off with injuries who you get at a discount price. But you seriously got to check yourself and check your ego if you said that I was going to lowball Jonu Smith or I was going to lowball Tomlinson because we have Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence coming in. Like, that that's that's crazy talk. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be that. I think you, sometimes you miscalculate the market, right? I mean, like, we can both go bid for a house. Like, we can go look at a house, and we can be like, well, I think that owner's really going to take about $5,000 less than what they're offering. Uh, you can be like, oh, this market's hot right now. This is going to be. He's going to have like five more offers in, and so I'm going to go two thousand dollars over the value of the house or what they're what they put out there, what they listed it. And I misread the market. You read the market right, and bam, got it. You know, and still probably got it for a bargain. That's kind of how this works. I mean, you have no idea what the other teams are offering. You know, I mean, do we really know? Seattle was trying to keep Shaquille Griffin today. Was the word about ten minutes before he actually uh, agreed to a deal with the Jaguars? Do we know that was the case? How much, how close were they? Like the reports let it indicate that it was pretty close, and so they were going back and forth. Did the Jaguars outbid them by a few million dollars? Like was it a no-brainer? Was this an agent putting it out there to try to drum up the price for the Jaguars a little bit more in the final closing minutes of trying to get the deal done? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of unknown in this now, and yeah. that's it is reading the field. And so... You know, again, Urban's new to this, and I'm, I mean, if they misread the field, that's a possibility. That's a possibility in play. To your point, Trent Baalke should know the field. Like he should have a better feel for it in free agency. He's been around this a long time. And so you would hope he would and all the other people. You know, we always talk about Balky and, and Meyer. There's a lot of people behind the scenes that have a good understanding of this stuff, too. So I, I just – it's been a little bit of a narrative out there, and I think it's a fair one to bring up. You know, did they – did they miscalculate? But I don't know if that's necessarily tied to Urban Meyer being new in the NFL as much as it is sometimes. I think that happens to a lot of teams, you know, that a lot of teams try to go get Shaquille Griffin and didn't think the Jaguars would pay this kind of value for him, this kind of dollar for him. I mean, again, we're watching an entire league not make offers at all to wide receivers right yeah. now. Yeah. So I think I think there's a myriad of reasons why. It's, it's not simple. I mean, it's not like people say, hey, here's the price. I'm going to have five teams bidding on it. Go ahead, be the best offer. I mean, it's a little bit more difficult than buying a house. You don't see the list price. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. At the same time, though, like the, at the end of the day, regardless of what happens in the rest of free agency, um, this, and even more than Trent Bulky, in my opinion, this is going to fall on Urban Meyer. And yeah. it fell on Urban Meyer after that first press conference when we, you know, we all saw what we saw, and it was all right, Urban Meyer's running the show here. Like, yeah, I understand, like, the, the the title of GM isn't in his resume, but he's still running the show here. So while Bulky may have been in charge of, you know, issuing let's offer him this much, let's offer him this much, you got to believe that Urban Meyer oversaw everything, and he, he gave out the final okay. So whatever grade at the end we give this, you know, free agent class, whether it's an A, B, C, D, or whatever, whatever grade that we give it, it's going to fall directly on Urban Meyer, even more than Balky. And, and I'm not saying that's the fair thing to do because Urban Meyer is, quote-unquote, not the GM, but he has made it abundantly clear that he is the captain of the ship. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think you're right on there. I think uh, all credit, all blame is going to go on Urban Meyer. That's just the way it is. It was kind of like it was with Coughlin, right? 
I mean, Coughlin was like that, too. Uh, he was probably getting too much of the credit sometimes. Maybe he got too much of the blame at the end of the day, too. But uh, it is set up to be coach-centric, and I think Trent Baalke is a big factor here. But whether he makes a mistake, well, that's going to be Meyer's mistake. If he does something great, sorry, Trent, you're probably not getting a lot of credit here. Urban Meyer's going to get the credit for building this thing. That's just the way it is. It's the way it's set up uh, to see if it figured uh, if they can figure this thing out. Uh, the New England Patriots are set up for Brent, uh, for Bill Belichick to get, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the credit for all the success and, and blame for if it all goes wrong. They are really attacking things in a different way. Do you like what the Patriots are doing with all this spending? You know, listen, fans love it. Fans love to spend other people's money. They love to see these big names coming into their franchise. But we have to also remind people it doesn't always work well. They are adding a lot of people. They're spending a lot of money. They had a lot of money available. Do you like what the Patriots are doing, and do you think it will work? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love what the Patriots are doing because – this is the Bill Belichick MO. Now he's going outside of the box of how he's handling this because he's spending a lot of money, but the goal is still clear. It's winning Super Bowls. It's hoisting Lombardi trophies. Bill Belichick wants to win. Bill Belichick watched Tom Brady go to Tampa Bay, you know, and he hoisted a trophy. And he's been the talk of the town. And now so we're talking about Tom Brady playing for another three or four years. How do you think Bill Belichick feels about that? I think Bill Belichick's the ultimate competitive guy out there, and he wants to win. This is showing that right now. So I absolutely love what the Patriots are doing. Um, you know, and, and we saw this with the Rams a little bit, and they got made fun of a lot. Oh, you're giving up first round picks, first round picks. What so you guys are gonna, you know, the salary cap, yada yada. Well, I'll tell you what. Going in this year right now, the way the Rams sit, they're one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So they're they're doing something right. You can go ahead and make fun of the salary cap and make fun of all the draft capital gave up, but this year, this up-and-coming year, the Rams are a favorite. And I like what the Patriots are doing. They're in win-now mode, and that to me is is how you play the game of football. Some people want to do the long haul. Let's slowly build this thing up, and let's slowly build it up from Tom Brady leaving, and you know, let's slowly bring it along the Patriots. No, go win. Go get free agents that you think are going to be great players. Fill them in. And see what happens. I like what the Patriots are doing. I think it's an interesting pivot because it, it just shows you what Tom Brady can hide, right? Tom Brady can a lot. Now, listen, the Bucks are spending a lot of money. But over the years, Tom Brady hit so many things that the, the Patriots could get away with not spending big, collecting draft picks, getting young people. And Brady will help take care of everything along with Belichick. Your Rams point is a good one, though. They just signed Leonard Floyd. They've restructured Ramsey and some other contracts. They're making it work. They go get Stafford. And they've been able to still make it work, even losing all these draft picks along the way to keep their window open and try to win now. The big problem with New England is who's going to play quarterback and can they win big in the AFC with with Cam Newton or somebody else. That part of the story is yet to be written. But I think what's interesting is the Jags could really pivot over the next few years. If Trevor Lawrence really is that good, well, you could start kind of treating the offseason like many teams do. Be very quiet in free agency. Don't have to spend your money. Well, hopefully because you're drafting well and, and locking up a lot of the guys that you grew with your homegrown talent, uh, and then you don't have to spend wildly in free agency, much like the Patriots did for a long, long time. Trevor Lawrence could be a catalyst to kind of pivot for what we know the Jags have been in terms of spending a bunch of money. I think I just saw a tweet. Since 2011, the Jaguars have spent $1.4 billion in free agency. (laughs) 
Wow. $1.4 billion. I don't know how accurate that is, but if that's true, that's incredible. That's a big number. All right, we'll take a break. I do want to get your thoughts on UFC, man. Coming to Jacksonville, full crowd. Uh, that's kind of a thank you to the city of Jacksonville, but is the Jacksonville <laughs> the city of Jacksonville saying you're welcome yeah. or not to the UFC? Uh, that story plus more free agency, and we do ask Mike Tannenbaum some questions coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Free agency frenzy continues here on a Tuesday on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. UFC President Dana White here, and I have been waiting a year for this day to tell you we are back. UFC 261 on April 24th will be in Jacksonville, Florida, with a full house of fans, full capacity at the Five Star Veterans Memorial Arena. We have three title fights. The welterweight championship, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal II. The women's flyweight championship, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade. And the fight everybody has been waiting for, the women's strawweight championship, Weili Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. This is a stacked card in front of 15,000 UFC fans. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And I just want to say thank you, Jacksonville. I love you guys. And we will see you soon. Goosebumps. Oh, that is Dana White, USC, coming back to Jacksonville. And obviously an affinity for Jacksonville for Dana White. It was the first sporting event that came back in the world was USC. And it happened right here in Jacksonville, that one without fans. And we wondered where that would lead us to down the road, Austin Lane. You know that part of the world so well. The UFC, MMA, just got off a win on Saturday down in Orlando in the cage. What is your reaction to this? Uh, full crowd, well, full crowd potentially at uh, Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, April 24th. Good move, bad move. I mean, you know, obviously, hopefully there's some protocols put in place. But at the end of the day, from the business perspective of Dana White, it's a fantastic move. Because whether you care about bad optics or not, Dana White does not. Yeah, Dana, Dana White cares about the UFC um, spreading that brand and putting on a show. And, you know, you can either love him or hate him, regardless of the political standpoints. But the guy has done a fantastic job during this pandemic churning out sporting event after sporting event and obviously getting his fighters paid. Um, it's an interesting fight card for UFC 261 here in Jacksonville. And it really goes to show you that Dana White is putting Jacksonville over everything right now. Because what was supposed to happen, according to some sources and then rumors and stuff like that, and what you kind of read, is Kamara Usman was supposed to face Jorge Masvidal on the Ultimate Fighter TV show. When we had Dana White on the yeah. show uh, about a year ago, um, we even asked him about that. And, you know, he was very adamant about getting that show back underway, getting that on ESPN as one of, you know, the, 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 the shows that they feature because, you know, it's good television and it showcases the UFC. It's a win-win for ESPN and the UFC. Well, it seems to, to happen now where Dana White said, I'm going to scrap the Ultimate Fighter, forget the TV ratings, forget, you know, ESPN or ESPN Plus, and I'm going to do Jacksonville a favor and set up the much-anticipated rematch on a full fight camp now with Jorge Masvidal and Kamar Usman. So to me, that's very telling that Dana White really is going out of his way to do Jacksonville a favor here. Is this a good enough thank you for letting us get back to sports in UFC style and Mayor Lenny Curry and Governor DeSantis and everybody in Florida? 
for, again, at the time, that was a big story. I know it's a year later, but that was a big story when it came back and Jacksonville was going to host it, and it was a little bit controversial. And people were like, oh, what are we doing here? Is this good or bad for Jacksonville? Is this a good enough thank you, this kind of matchup, this fight card coming up in April? Yeah, obviously the, the fight card hasn't been announced yet. Um, they have announced the three title fights. And anytime you have three title fights on one fight card, Brent, I mean, that's special in itself. Right. Um, that doesn't happen all the time. Now, the, the last pay-per-view featured that as well, but it, it is enough. I mean, regardless of what the undercard looks like, I'm sure it'll be a barn burner as well because it's a pay-per-view card. Uh, regardless of what the other part of the main card looks like, this is going to be a great one. Um, when when you have Rose Namajunas taking on Weili Zhang, it's a fight that, you know, the hardcore fans have wanted to see for a while now. Um you know, they they may be unknown to the casual MMA fan, but, you know, if you go back and you watch these these girls, how they fight, um, it is must-see TV. And then when you talk about Valentina Shevchenko, who pound for pound might be the, the, the biggest or uh, the, the greatest woman's fighter right now next to Amanda Nunez, there's a lot to like about those three championship fights. Yeah, and listen, we're going to start to see more of this, Austin, don't you think? People saying, hey, we're ready to go. We're ready to go full crowd. We're going to try it. And with the vaccine out, it, it, this might be kind of on the early stages of that. But they're going to try it here in Jacksonville. Well, it's going to come with controversy. But I don't yeah. think it's just Jacksonville. I don't think it's just UFC. I think we're going to start seeing this all over. And the Jags, we'll get into this in a bit, but season ticket renewals came out today. They anticipate full crowd. And they're going to sell that full stadium yeah. in the fall. Well, and word on the street, too, is that Dan White actually went to Texas first. And he tried to pitch this like in a, in a sold-out arena, and for whatever reason, they didn't have the logistics, the, the logistics to, to to offer him that deal. So he said, "All right, forget it, Texas. I'm going back to Jacksonville." So huh. you know, I mean, it's it's once again a lot of things have to go right. Obviously, um, he doesn't care about the optics. I think everybody else maybe does a little bit. But if it goes off without a hitch, it'll it'll be another groundbreaking event for the UFC, another groundbreaking event for professional sports. Yeah, they're bringing out attention to Jacksonville. But like we said last year, if it goes bad, it's bad attention for Jacksonville potentially. That's the risk you run here in the city of Jacksonville. It didn't go bad the last time. It was good attention for Jacksonville overall. We'll talk more about season ticket renewals. What about a full crowd? What to think about the price increase? But we really get back to free agency. Football at 5 on the way. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We talked to a former GM about what the Jags might be doing and could be doing next on the way in the next hour.